This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. And we do appreciate those of you who are watching today, especially if you may be watching today for the very first time. Thank you for tuning in. Of course, we appreciate those who watch every time uh, we come on the air. And uh, today, we continue to offer a free Bible correspondence course. So let me emphasize that course is free. And we have thousands of people all over the world who are studying this Bible course. People are telling us how much they've enjoyed it, how much they've benefited from it spiritually. We want you to have it as well in order that you might know more about the course, that you might know how to receive the course. Let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. For the last 60 years, I've been trying to preach out of this book. The Bible is the greatest book of the ages. Time has a way of eliminating or sifting books. An expert in the realm of publication said that if a book is just a good book, it may last for about a year on the public market. If if it is an extraordinarily, extraordinarily good book, it may last five years. If it's rare, it may last for 50 years. Time does have a way of sifting books, but time has not sifted the Bible. This ancient book that, that is hoary with age, that, that is weighed down with antiquity, that holds the centuries in its bosom, that has braved the storms and bared the criticisms, is actually stronger today than ever in the history of the world. The Bible is above all other books. The Bible is above all of the books as the sun is above a candle and as the ocean is above a grain of sand. It is above all other books that have ever been written. It is God's book. You may say, well, I don't know whether I believe that or not, Billy. And I want to tell you today why I believe it is God's book. Why I believe that the Bible is true. Why I believe the Bible is reliable. Why why I believe that when you read it, that you have God speaking to you. I have just three reasons. 
First of all, I believe the Bible is true because it seems to be. Uh, that's seen in its unusual circulation. It's the most widely circulated book that's ever been written. Year after year and actually decade after decade and century after century, it continues to be the number one bestseller. The a Bible Society in France uh, said that they estimate that there are between five and seven billion copies in existence today. That's unusual, isn't it? Uh, the Bible just seems to be the Word of God from the standpoint of its origination. People speak of inspiration and they say, well, Shakespeare was inspired and he wrote his works. They, they, they mean that he had a vivid imagination, and, and, uh, but the Bible is inspired because it came from the mind of God. Peter said that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Bible originated in God's mind. The Holy Spirit revealed that to man and they wrote it down so that you and I could have it in written form. The Bible just seems to be the Word of God. That's seen from the standpoint of its preservation. The Bible has emerged from the fires of persecution unharmed, but it's been mingled with the blood and the tears of those who died rather than denied sacred truths. There have been attempts all through the centuries to destroy the Bible. There's an attempt in the Bible itself. It's recorded in the Bible itself, and that's Jehoiakim in the Old Testament. When he was presented with the, the scroll that contained God's word that was not very favorable towards him, he cut it with his penknife and cast it into the fire. But the word of God continued to live. Then, then there was attempt to destroy the Bible by uh, Epiphanes, Antichus Epiphanes. And he tried to have all copies of the Jewish scriptures destroyed. And yet the Bible continues to live. Diocletian of Rome made it a capital offense to own a copy of the Bible. Think about that. And then the medieval church did not want the Bible in the hands of the people. But a man by the name of William Tyndall did. And he's the first man that ever had the Bible translated into English. Because of that, William Tyndall was killed. But before he died, he said, Lord, open thou the eyes of the king of England. And then there are the skeptics 
that have tried to destroy the Bible, and yet it continues to live. Men like, like uh, Thomas Paine, who wrote the Age of Reason, and I believe that Thomas Paine thought the Age of Reason was going to replace the Bible. I do know that he said that it took 12 ignorant men to establish Christianity. But he was going to prove that one Frenchman could destroy it. You know what's interesting? That some years after his death, I have read two different uh, figures on that. Some say 25 years, another says 50 years. But nonetheless, several years after his death, his home was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society. You know what they used it for? As a storehouse and a distribution center for Bibles. The Bible continues to live. It's no wonder to me that it continues to live because Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Then in John chapter 10, Jesus said, My word cannot be broken. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter said, The word of the Lord endures forever. The Bible is the word of God because it just seems to be. But the Bible, I believe, is, the, is true, the word of God, because it claims to be. That there are the internal claims for inspiration in the Bible. That there are such expressions as the Lord said. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord spake. Those kinds of expressions are found 1,300 times in the prophets. And over 2,500 times in all of the Old Testament. There are those internal claims for inspiration. It claims to be. But this one thing I do know, Jesus endorsed it. He endorsed the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, Jesus said, The things that are written concerning me in the law, in the Psalms, and in the prophets must be fulfilled. So Jesus, first of all, put his stamp of approval upon the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. But, but Jesus Christ endorsed the Old Testament. So some of, some of those things that people question, whether or not they're true. Some, some refer to some of these things as legendary. Some, some refer to them as just fairy tales or myths. Jesus endorsed, for example, the, the story about the creation in Matthew, the 19th chapter, when he said that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female. When Jesus makes a statement like that, Jesus is saying, young people, that what you read in the book of Genesis about the creation of the world is true. Jesus endorsed the story about Noah and the flood, the worldwide flood. When in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, he said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, even so shall the Son of Man be three, day, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ endorsed that story that a lot of people say is just a myth about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. 
He endorsed the story of Naaman the Syrian uh, who had leprosy and his healing by dipping in the river Jordan seven times. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 27, Jesus said there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elias the prophet or Elijah the prophet. And none of them was healed saving Naaman the Syrian. Jesus said that story you read in the Old Testament is absolutely true. He even endorsed the story about Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. So, some just say that's the funniest thing they ever read and it's just not true. But right, Jesus in Luke 17 and verse 32 said, listen to it, remember Lot's wife. Don't you ever forget about Lot's wife. He endorsed that story. You see, Jesus Christ endorsed the stories, uh, the accounts that we read in the Old Testament. And so Jesus Christ endorsed every word of the Old Testament. Sometimes we are asked, and I have been asked, you, you don't really believe the Old Testament, do you? Because we teach out of the New Testament that that's for the Christian age today. I believe every word of the Old Testament, and I believe it's true. And there's profit in studying the Old Testament. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, Old Testament, were written for our learning, that we through comfort and patience of the Scriptures, Old Testament, might have hope. There's profit and benefit in studying the Old Testament. The general message of the Old Testament is Jesus is coming. He is coming. And then the New Testament tells us He has come and He is coming again. Jesus endorsed the Old Testament. He endorsed the New Testament before it was ever written. Somebody says, well, how could that be? Because in John's 16th chapter, where Jesus is talking to the men who would be inspired to write the Bible, and that goes from chapter 14 all the way through chapter 17, and in chapter 16 he said, how be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, that's the Holy Spirit, he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, shall guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he heareth, that shall he speak. And he, so he says that I want you to know that the men that are going to write the Bible are inspired men. By the time the last inspired writer died, all religious truth had been revealed to the world. The Bible seems to be the Word of God because of its circulation, because of its origination, and because of its preservation, and it claims to be the Word of God. The Old Testament, which is composed of 39 books, there are three letters in the word old, nine in the word testament, and so you put a three and nine together, you have 39. And there are 27 letters in the New Testament. Count the letters in the word new. There are three. There are nine in the word testament. And nine times three equals 27. And you put them all together and you have a collection of 66 books. The Bible seems to be the Word of God. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. But now number three. The Bible proves to be the Word of God. Granted, some of the evidence for this is circumstantial evidence. 
It would be like you're walking down the road one day and a rubber ball goes bouncing by you. And then in another minute, another ball goes bouncing by you. Another minute, another ball goes bouncing by you. Would you not conclude somebody's messing with you? Huh? Wouldn't you not? And would you not conclude somebody is back there bouncing those balls? That's what you call circumstantial evidence. And there are certain things that we can know that indicate for us that the Bible is true. One of those that is faith-building is prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. Think, for example, about the prophecy about the ancient city of Tyre that you read about in Ezekiel, the 26th chapter, and verse 14. That there it was predicted that Tyre was going to be destroyed, that it would be left like the top of a rock, that fishermen would spread their nets there, and it would never be built again. Prophecy fulfilled. Think about the prophecy about the ancient city Babylon in Isaiah the 13th chapter. There the prophets, Isaiah said that Babylon, the glory of the Chaldees' excellency, would be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, he said the Arabian will not pitch his tent there, and they will not to this day. And, and the shepherd will not make his fold there. They will not. They will not even spend the night at the site of the ancient city of Babylon. And, and he said that the doleful creatures would come and live in your houses and the satires would dance there. Prophecy fulfilled. One amazing prophecy is the prophecy about the Jews in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And there are a number of things in that chapter that were predictive in nature about the future of the Jewish nation. Let me mention just three of those. It was predicted they would become a scattered people. They would become a hiss and byword among the nations of the world. Prophecy fulfilled. It was predicted that when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, it would become under siege. And in AD 70, when Titus came with his Roman army against the city of Jerusalem and besieged it, that prophecy was fulfilled. But in that siege, it was predicted there would be unparalleled misfortune. In verses 52 and 53 of Deuteronomy 28, because women would be so famished, they would literally eat the flesh of their own children. Prophecy fulfilled. There were 1,100,000 people that were killed when Titus came with his army in the month of August in, say, A.D. 70 against the city of Jerusalem. Frederick of Prussia, King Frederick of Prussia, was asked on one occasion to give in one word evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. He just used one word, Jews. The prophecy made about the Jewish nation was all those prophecies were fulfilled. But now, that aside... The one crowning prophecy 
are the prophecies made about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, when the prophets of the Old Testament made predictions about Jesus, folks, they mentioned more than 300 specific details about him. Some say 333. Another says 334. I read one man who said there were 400. Well, I'm going to stick with the round number of 300. More than 300 prophecies made about Jesus were those prophecies fulfilled. Think about the prophecy about his birthplace in Micah chapter 5 in verse 2. Thou Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though thou be little among the nations, yet, yet, yet out of thee shall he come forth who is to be ruler in Israel. Prophecy fulfilled. Think about the prophecy of his virgin birth, 750 years before he was ever born. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Matthew chapter 1, prophecy fulfilled. Think about the prophecy about his sex in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Now, people would have a hard, some people today would have a hard time figuring out the sex of the child, but not the Holy Spirit. Unto us a child is born. Not anything unusual about that, is it? They're born every day. But next, notice what he says next. Unto us a son is given. And then he says the government shall be on his shoulders. He's going to be a king. And notice he says his name shall be called wonderful and if you'll note in your Bible these names are capitalized they are titles his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace prophecy fulfilled then there's the great Isaiah chapter 53 that some refer to as the John 3:16 of the Old Testament because you see, Isaiah 53 is about Jesus and particularly about his death on the cross. About down what, verse 4 or 5, he said, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Also in that same chapter, there was a prophecy made about how he was going to die. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Jesus was buried in the tomb of Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea. But he also died on the cross between two sinful men, two thieves. So that prophecy was fulfilled. A man by the name of Peter Stoner, mathematician, dealt with the laws of probability. And he calculated that the probability of just eight prophecies that are made about Jesus being fulfilled as predicted, hundreds of years predicted, and then fulfilled when Christ came, was one chance out of 100 quadrillion. He said the probability of 48 such prophecies being fulfilled 
was one out of ten to the 157th power. That's a 10 with 157 zeros behind it. I'll let you explain to me how you say that. Lee Straubel that Ray mentioned in the Bible class this morning was an atheist. He was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. His wife became a Christian. And he said, I wanted to get her out of the cult. So he began studying the Bible because his purpose was to get his wife out of Christianity. But rather than doing that, he became a believer. It converted, he converted himself by investigating Christianity. And he's written a number of books. And, and I've read some of those books. One is called The Case for Christ. Another, The Case for Christianity, as I, as I recall. But nonetheless, he took the, the findings of Peter Stoner and applied them. Peter Stoner said that the chances of eight prophecies being fulfilled was one out of 100 quadrillion. So, so he wanted to make that to where people could kind of get the grasp of the immensity of all of that. And he figured like this. If you were to take little tiles, one and a half inch square, and you had enough of those tiles to cover the entire land mass of the world, all seven continents, And then if you had one of those tiles and you painted the bottom side of it red, you didn't know where it was, but you were to walk out on the land mass of the world and you, find, you pick up that one tile, that's the odds of picking up eight prophecies, one out of 100 quadrillion times. But the prophecies about Jesus Christ passed the test. They were all fulfilled. That, that there is the amazing unity of the Bible that points to the fact that it's not just a normal book. It was written by 40 men over a period of 1,500 years on different continents, even speaking different languages from different backgrounds. Some of them were farmers. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were, were, were kings. But, but they, when they wrote, everything they wrote fit together like the pieces of a puzzle. There's a unity of it. Jesus is the theme that runs all the way through the Bible from beginning to end. It's all about Jesus and, and the fact that Jesus is coming into the world. Now just suppose, for the sake of, of illustration, someone were to have 40 different men who are, or women who are sculptors or sculptresses from all over the world to go out and to find a piece of marble with the instructions that they are to work on that piece of marble and have it ready to fit together with another piece of marble. So all 40 of these people from all over the world who have a piece of marble that they've been working on and they have it all slick and shiny, you know, and they come together on one place 
and each one takes their piece of marble, what would you think if I were to tell you that when they took, each one took those 40 pieces of marble, they started falling together like the pieces in a puzzle? That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what happened when all these people started writing. They were writing about a central theme. And the theme is Jesus. It's like a scarlet cord that runs all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. You see, there's the unity of the Bible. And that shows it's to be more than just a normal book. Think about the scientific accuracy of the Bible, or I might refer to it as scientific foreknowledge. And I'll say the Bible is not a science book, but it is scientifically accurate. For example, for years, people thought the earth is flat, and some still do, incidentally. They thought if you sail far enough, you fall off the edge. And, uh, but in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, Isaiah said, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. The earth is a circle. Someone says, "Now nah, I'm not sure I convinced. Well, in Luke 17, let me, let me throw out a little bit more fodder for you here. In Luke 17, Jesus said when he comes back, two men would be in the field. One is going to be taken, the other is going to be left. And two women are going to be in the bed. One will be taken and the other left. How could that be? Daylight and dark at the same time. Because when Christ comes, it will be light on one side of the world, dark on the other side of the world. The earth is round. It is a sphere. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And then there is the prophecy about the earth hanging on nothing. In uh, Job, the 26th chapter and verse 7, that's actually what it says. The earth hangs upon nothing. You know, people thought, thought for years that the world was sitting on the shoulders of Atlas and that he was standing on something and under that was something and under that was something all the way to the bottom. They didn't know where the bottom was. But nonetheless, they thought, but the Bible says the earth hangs upon nothing. And I believe you and I understand that today, do we not? Then there's the prophecy or statement made about the paths in the sea. A man by the name of Matthew Fontaine Murray was reading his Bible, the eighth chapter of Psalms, and in verse 8, he read about the paths of the sea. He said, if God said there are paths in the sea, I'm going to find them. And he did. And I understand that the great ocean liners of the world follow those paths that are out there in the sea. Many years ago, there were those who thought there were just a few stars in the heavens. As a matter of fact, one man counted, and he said, I found a little over a thousand stars. Another wanted to outdo him, and he got just a few more than a thousand. And then another comes along, and he said, no, 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 you're all wrong. There are 4,000 stars. And then men invented the telescope, and they found out that the stars of heaven are without number. But you know, had they been reading their Bibles in Jeremiah, the 33rd chapter and verse 22, they would learn that the host of heaven are without number. You see, it's scientifically accurate. That is, there are certain facts about science that were foreknown in the Bible. But then archaeology points to the fact that the Bible is true. There was a seal found that was calculated to be some 5,000 years old or more. Let me tell you what was on that ancient seal. See, see if it rings a bell to you. There was a man, 
a woman, a tree, and a snake. That ring a bell? That indicates that the story about Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, and the serpent were well known more than 5,000 years ago. And then in 1947, there was a little Bedouin boy walking out beside the Dead Sea. He, he was actually herding his sheep. And he threw a rock, and that rock entered into a cave, and he heard a crash, and he went in, and there was a clay jar that had broken, and inside that jar there was a scroll. That, that was the beginning of the discovery of what we know today as the dead sea scrolls. And from what I have read about the scrolls, that, that, that we can know from those scrolls, which were just copies made of originals, those copies tell us that the Bible that we have today is everything we need. For example, the book of Isaiah was often called into question. I recall when I was in college studying, about the, studying the book of Isaiah, and I had to read a book called The Unity of Isaiah by A.T. Allison, Allison, something like that. I don't remember his name. It doesn't matter. But he was trying to show that the book of Isaiah is just one book because, you see, some thought the first 39 chapters were written by one man and from chapter 40 to 66 was written by someone else. But when they discovered those scrolls, they found out that there was almost a complete copy of the book of Isaiah in those Dead Sea Scrolls. And you could make a, a wonderful study. Uh, you could study for a year about archaeology and how the findings in archaeology have proven the Bible is true. The Bible is true. The Bible seems to be the Word of God. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. I believe it proves to be the Word of God more than just a fabrication of man. Why do we need it today? We need the Bible today because we live in a world filled with moral, spiritual, and ethical darkness. And the darkness is deeper today than in our lifetime because the farther away you get from the light, the deeper the darkness. Amen? David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We need the Bible because there is power in it to change lives, to change circumstances, to change countries, to change families. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is quick, that is living, and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the reason sometimes when we study the Bible, it makes us a little uncomfortable. And I am convinced the reason some fight it today is because the Bible exposes them for what they are. But we need the Bible today. It was George Washington who said, and I'll close with this, it is impossible, impossible to rightly govern the people without God and the Bible. I don't know many other things he said, but I agree with that, don't you? It is impossible 
to rightly govern the people without God and the Bible. Now in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. If you're not certain where the church is in your community, if you will call us or write to us, we will locate the one that's nearest to you. And we'll give you that information. Every week we have numerous people that are calling and writing us wanting to know where is the church of Christ that's nearest to me. And also, let me urge you right now to pick up the phone and call for the free Bible correspondence course. Be the greatest thing. You talk about lighting a fire in your heart. Jeremiah had God's Word in his heart, and it was like a fire. And when you begin to study this Bible course and you get serious about God and His Word, it'll light a fire in your heart, I promise. I want to thank you for watching today, and I want you to know that I love you and appreciate every one of you that watches this program. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail. And it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free. 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for getting to know your Bible. Oh.